seafood news. Hello, seafood friends and fans. Thanks for joining us for yet another episode of the Seafood News Podcast. I'm Seafood News staff writer Amanda Buckle. And I'm seafood market reporter Lauren Castiglione. This week's episode is brought to you by the Seafood Innovation Expo, taking place at the Mazatlan International Center in Mexico from September 6th to the 7th. Visit expoinnovacionayp.com or email expo at sbs-seafood.com for more information. We've got a lot to talk about today, so how about we just dive right into it? Let's do it. I mean, I'm not even going to read off the list of subjects. Like, we're just going to talk about it. I want it to be a surprise. I want <laughs> Ooh, people to be... Very exciting. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're on board. Okay. Well, I'm happy to kick things off with a look at the farm salmon market. So, when taking a look at the fresh farm whole salmon in the U.S. market during mid-July, most market participants would speak to an overall quiet market with more of a focus on wild salmon. Total imports of whole fish from Canada and Europe from May through September follow a somewhat seasonal trend. Starting in May, imports for the month are typically heavy with the end of Lent and high demand for Mother's Day. Most of the summer, and I'm talking about June through August, we'll see steady imports with August usually seeing the lowest import levels. The month of August is usually a time when many European companies will have holiday, resulting in declining imports as employees will take off. September is typically uh, the time when we start to see a rebound from the lower import levels in August. However, the rise in imports comes just in time for back to school in the U.S., which is typically a seasonally quiet demand period that extends through October. Back to school. Yes. Side note, in my previous role, I used to work with a lot of European suppliers, and they literally take off the entire month of August. It's amazing the practice that we need to (laughs) employ here in the U.S., that's crazy. But then when would I have time to buy? I just, if I was off, I would have plenty of time to buy all my Halloween decorations. That's the other thing we're, <laughs> we keep talking about is that I went to the store the other day to buy some like outdoor stuff and it's all back to school stuff. I know. It's They're rushing soon. this summer away. It's too soon. Okay. Well, anyway, thanks, Lauren. Um, and for Seafood News and Comptel subscribers, you can actually find a full analysis from market reporter Janice Schreiber on the site. So you can get a ton of charts and everything else in there. So check it out. Uh, in, other, in other news, uh, the Coast Guard rescued two North Carolina fishermen this week after the 35-foot fishing boat, the Mad Lady 2. I like that. I want to have the Mad Lady 3. Um, Bad omens, though, maybe. The angry lady. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the slightly off-putting lady. <laughs> um, after the boat capsized, so this is bad to be joking about it. Okay, we're not joking about this, but the generator on the boat is said to have stopped working Tuesday night. And one of the wives of the fishermen contacted the Coast Guard to tell them that two men were struggling, um, that the two men were struggling to make it back to shore safely in the bad weather. Thank God for that wife. I'm sure the guys were like, no, we're fine, we're fine. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> typical men. Um, you know, fortunately, the story does have a happy ending as the Coast Guard was able to find them and they weren't seriously injured, but they were in the water overnight, you know, and um, they, the Coast Guard found them early Wednesday morning and they were clinging to debris about seven miles from where. The Coast Guard found the capsized boat. Super scary. Yeah. But, I mean, I think the story is just a great reminder of how important safety at sea survival training is. Um, and it actually pretty cool. I'm, I'm going to be able to talk about it next week. Um, I'm taking uh, a safety at sea training class um, this week with the National Fishery Institute's Future Leaders class. So we're going to Seattle this week, and, and that's going to be one of, um, one of the experiences we get so i'm excited to learn more and and bring some information back yeah and i can't wait to hear about it and i'm sure it will be i mean i'm sure you're going to be 100 percent safe but it probably will be a little bit scary like putting yourself in a situation like that um 
but I am looking forward to seeing you in one of those huge suits just floating in the ocean. There will be photos. There will be photos. We'll have to keep an eye on the Seafood News Instagram for that. (laughs) Moving along, let's talk about distributor Seed-A-Table. For those of you that have been following along, the AP published an article in June exposing Seed-A-Table as a fraud, which is huge because their whole thing is selling wild-caught, sustainable seafood that is directly traceable to a U.S. stock. Well, now Seed a Table is speaking out, and they're claiming that AP's story was misleading. So, Sean Dimon started Seed a Table with his father to bring transparency to the complex world of seafood logistics. But DNA testing conducted by the AP suggested that some of the yellowfin tuna sold by Seed a Table actually came from the other side of the world. And this investigation by AP traced Seed a Table's supply chain to migrant fishermen in foreign waters who described labor issues, poaching, and the slaughter of sharks, whales, and dolphins. And on top of that, the AP also found that some species offered by the distributor were illegal to catch out of season or farmed, not wild-caught. Dimon's big argument against the AP is that the testing AP based on their story was only preliminary. You know, I mean, it really is a fascinating story, and I'm curious to see what happens next. I know Dimon admitted to that seat of table has experienced some growing pains, but he hasn't like exactly addressed what those growing pains are. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know is it is it that they haven't been able to you know get enough fish that they're turning they have to turn to you know farm fish or uh, it's not clear exactly what what their growing pains are. Um, I'm curious to find out. But he did say that the story from AP has really taken a toll on on their customer base. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, in other news, Marine Harvest is having a terrible month. <laughs> we're going, sorry, we're going down. Yeah. Um, so earlier this month, their farm in Chile was hit by a windstorm that caused structural damage, which resulted in many of the 900,000 fish escaping. They've only been able to recapture about 5.7% of the escaped salmon, and the law requires that the company recapture 10% of the escaped fish within 30 days or risk closure. Um, so this happened on July 5th. So they have 30 days to, to up that number from 5.7% to 10%. Yikes. Um, then, about a week later, Marine Harvest's salmon plant in France was destroyed by a oh, fire. Geez. Yes, like I said, it's not, it's not a great month for Marine Harvest. So 95% of their processing facility, which specializes in smoked salmon products, was destroyed in the fire. And right now, the company said that they're investigating different solutions to fulfill existing contracts while safeguarding the same quality level. And 95% is basically 100%. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. nothing left. Yeah. Uh, definitely a rough month. Um, fortunately, I can follow that up with a little good news. Oh, thank God. <laughs> About, I was going to go down here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's pick it up. <laughs> About eight months after Noah closed ground fishing for Carlos Rafael's vessels, the ban in New Bedford has been lifted. So right now, Noah has approved lease-only operation plans for Sector 9 and allocated quota for Sector 7. However, the twist is that Sector 9 won't be operational until it pays back a certain amount of quota. Sector 9 vessels that are owned by Rafael will be able to begin fishing as soon as the fleet is sold to an independent party. But those vessels can lease quota. And in our final story of the day, we've got an update on the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative's Trap the Table. So if you listened to last week's podcast, you know that we welcomed MLMC's Executive Director, Mac Jacobson, to talk about their Trap to Table event, which was held in New York City last week. It was a live event streamed online that brought together chefs and Maine lobstermen. And if you missed the event, the MLMC is actually releasing a Trap to Table series on YouTube. The first episode is already out, and it's a ton of fun to watch. And I think, I mean, really impressive, too. Uh, Episode one featured former food and wine editor-in-chief Dana Cowan, uh, who heads from New York City up to Maine to work on a boat with two lobster women. 
Um, and like you said, it, I mean, it's fun to watch because you can see how shocked Dana is about the work that goes into harvesting lobster. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had her pulling traps out of the water. And I think, I mean, I think everybody, like, and know, like, I know what it takes to, you know, what, how they harvest lobster. I, like, right. I, I'm grasping that. But you really don't know, like, the physical part of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I love I'm, that it was two women manning yeah. the boats. And um, it was funny because it's cute to see Dana. She's like, a little bit more prim and proper, and these two women <laughs> totally are like New York City girl, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, and these two women uh, manning the boat—they were just, you know, diving right in and pulling up the traps, yep. and it was awesome. Yeah, it's it, it just cool, and it, like I said, it's it's seeing those two worlds collide. Um, yeah, and I think that I mean that was something that Matt was talking to us about last week. Is that you know these chefs don't get really a chance to to talk to Maine lobstermen and and see the whole process. So I think it's cool, you know, kind of connecting connecting those dots. Yeah, it gives each side an appreciation for the other. Yeah, um, and the video is under five minutes long, so I recommend checking it out. Look up Lobster from Maine on YouTube. And that wraps up our show for the week. Once again, this week's episode is brought to you by the Seafood Innovation Expo. Thanks for tuning in and see you back here next week where I'll get to brag about my (laughs) awesome experience in Seattle with NFI's future leaders. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye.